Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unchained, your no-hype resource for all things crypto. I'm your host, Laura Shin, author of The Cryptopians. I started covering crypto eight years ago, and as a senior editor of Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the July 4th, 2023 episode of Unchained. Buy, trade, and spend crypto on the Crypto.com app. New users can enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in the first seven days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. Arbitrum's leading Layer 2 scaling solutions can provide you with lightning-fast transactions at a fraction of the cost, all while ensuring security rooted on Ethereum. Arbitrum's newest edition, Orbit, enables you to build your own tailor-made Layer 3. Visit Arbitrum.io today. You know it, we know it, they know it. The system doesn't just need an update, it needs a complete rewrite. Web3 offers that rewrite. It allows us to take control back and to truly own what's ours. Visit okx.com slash rewrite the system to learn how. Asia's buzzing and everyone's going to Token 2049 Singapore on September 13th to 14th. Balaji Srinivasan, Mike Novogratz, Arthur Hayes, and 200 others will hit the stage, joining over 10,000 attendees. Visit Token2049.com for 65% off with the code UNCHAINED. Link in the description. Today's topic is ERC-6551, a new token standard for NFTs on Ethereum, and also token-bound wallets. Here to discuss are Benny Yang, co-founder and partner of Future Primitive, and Jaden Wendell, founding developer of Future Primitive. Welcome, Benny and Jaden. Great to be on the show. Thanks so much for having us. It's not every day that people seem super excited about a new token standard, but ERC-6551 has really piqued the interest of a lot of people. Why is that? What does it enable people to do? Yeah, so ERC-6551 came from you know, a question of what if we had a project that was an NFT project that had a character and sometimes we call this a PFP project, right? Um, but our main question was like, why can't you change the clothing or the aesthetic of this PFP character? Why is it that the shirt you get is the shirt you're going to have forever, you know, until the end of time? So uh, we kind of asked this question about nine months ago while we were working with Jeff Staple on the Stapleverse project. Uh, since Jeff Staple's been in streetwear for the last 25 years, uh, he's collaborated with hundreds and thousands of brands over the last decade or so, multi-decade. Uh, we decided, all right, let's blend digital fashion with NFTs with a twist. And so that led us down this rabbit hole of, okay, there's a really, really hard problem right now in the NFT space. Uh, the hard problem is, when you want to add state to an NFT or you want to have a dynamic NFT, you want the aesthetic to change, uh, you start to ask yourself a few questions. Do you pursue the off-chain way where you build a database and you have all this kind of centralization where you could render the NFT? Or you go the on-chain way, which is like everything that you put on, every, every item is an NFT. 
and it can be equipable on chain as a transaction. So through this kind of journey, as we were feeling in the dark in the last eight or nine months, we realized that there was a potential solution. And the solution is if we link every single NFT with its own account or wallet, if it had that, then the NFT itself can actually own other tokens. It could own ETH, USDC, it could own ERC-721, NFTs, 1155s. And so that was the Sapiens project that came out of this. It's live now. Uh, it's been live for a little while, but you have these characters that you can equip t-shirts and hats and, and aesthetics. It's all on chain and it's gasless on ETH mainnet. Yeah. And so you referenced a few other of the NFT token standards. So Jaden, why don't you explain how the different standards, so ERC-721, ERC-1155, even soulbound tokens, I probably would put in this category. So if you could explain the differences between those and 6551, that would be helpful. For sure. So there've been a number of standards that have come along, uh, kind of standardized ways that we own things on Ethereum. You know, we've always had ETH and you can own that in your wallet. And then we had ERC-20 tokens that let us represent fungible money-like tokens. You can own balances of something. And then we had ERC-721, which came along, which created non-fungible tokens, tokens that are individually unique, that can be traded and bought and sold as unique assets that you own and hold in a wallet. And 1155 kind of mixed those two worlds of fungible and non-fungible. And so you have all of these different token standards, ways that you can represent ownership on Ethereum, with soulbound tokens being tokens that you can own but never leave your wallet. They're always permanently tied to your wallet. We have all these different standards and ways to represent ownership on Ethereum. But ERC-6551 isn't really a token standard. It's not a new type of token. What ERC-6551 does is it gives every single existing ERC-721 its own wallet. So every NFT that you already own, every NFT that's been launched since uh, ERC-721 came into existence, and every NFT that ever will be launched using the ERC-721 standard has its own wallet attached. It has its own unique smart contract wallet address. That means it can own assets like a regular wallet. It means it can take actions on chain like a regular wallet. By giving every single NFT on Ethereum, on any EVM-compatible chain, a wallet, we unlock a whole new layer of compatibility for NFTs. And I believe that there are some other types of NFTs that can also own assets or like I saw somebody tweeted at me about Luxo that does something similar. Can you describe some of those and talk about how that those differ from this? For sure. So there've been a couple of uh, attempts in the past to standardize NFTs owning assets. You know, ERC-6551 isn't the first attempt to do this. There've been others. There was ERC-998 that came shortly after ERC-721 was launched. There've been others since. Uh, and there's also things that are not token standards, but ways that certain chains are configured. So you have chains like Flow or some of the Move-based blockchains, where NFTs owning other assets is kind of a native behavior. But to focus on the EVM world for a second, there have been a couple of standards that have tried to give NFTs the ability to own things, but usually they've fallen into a couple of different pitfalls, one of which is they require custom logic in the NFT smart contract. So every NFT on Ethereum exists as a smart contract, and when you trade NFTs, what you're doing is you're interacting with that smart contract. And most of the standards before ERC-6551 required you as an NFT developer or an NFT creator to choose at the time you launch your NFT exactly what kind of utility you wanted it to have. You have to choose which kinds of assets it can own, uh, write the custom rules around that. And as a result, it meant that most NFTs don't support that behavior. Most NFTs can't own things. And the NFTs that can own things can only own a certain small subset of assets. A good example is ERC-998. So 
within ERC-998, you can only hold NFTs, so ERC-721s, and fungible tokens, ERC-20s. You can't own ERC-1155s, which are kind of semi-fungible tokens. And the reason is ERC-1155 came after ERC-998 was written. And so those tokens didn't exist at the time that ERC-998 was written. And that kind of highlights one of the key problems with writing all of this logic into your NFT smart contract, which is that it's immutable, right? If you choose to support a certain set of rules around what assets your NFTs can and can't own when you launch your NFT, you can never update that. And that means that you'll always be limited in what your NFT can own. But wallets on Ethereum are not limited. Every single NFT or every single token that's been launched, every single token standard that ever will be launched will likely be owned by a wallet or will interact with a wallet in some way. And so by giving NFTs wallets, we break out of the limitations that are inherent to these NFT ownership standards. We allow NFTs to really own any asset on chain. NFTs get the same rights as a user on Ethereum as you do with your wallet. They can own any asset and take any action. So Benny mentioned some of the exciting use cases for this, like the sapiens and being able to change the outfit of your PFP, which obviously makes so much sense. It just feels like that should be a thing. But what are some of the other applications of this standard that you're most excited about? You know, I saw some chatter around like messaging or about connecting with AIs, et cetera. So talk us through some of the other exciting options. Yeah, so I'll start with like what is here present day, and then we can kind of then float to the their heads in the clouds of like where we think this is going. I mean, there really is like four big categories that are forming. The first one being gaming or some sort of gamification. That's where Stapleverse sits in. Other projects that are in this area are Fuel World, so for, from Fuocious. There were Manifold, uh, which is one of the, the co-authors of this 6551. They're working on field world. It's a very similar concept to Sapiens to collecting digital arts inside of a backpack. Parallel trading card game. They are a top 20 NFT. They're building a AAA web and mobile gaming. And they're using this whole idea of like these characters that have their own wallets and can perform actions inside of the game autonomously. Uh, we have folks you know, from all sorts of different blockchain gaming, on-chain gaming uh, that are using uh, 6551 because it makes a lot of sense for like a decentralized game inventory. The second category are DAOs. So we have companies like Station, DAO House. Um, and what they're doing is exploring the idea of, you know, a lot of these communities, they need some sort of membership, right? That could be like uh, Pool Suite or FWB or, you know, a bunch of refraction DAO. They all have these membership cards or NFTs. And the issue with a lot of these DAOs is that they want to figure out who's the most engaged in this community, who did the most amount of work, who contributed the most. And usually that results into soulbound tokens that are put inside of the same wallet, like the MetaMask, badges, credentials, all these things. They all sit on a single layer right now. And the problem is when you sell your membership card NFT, everything else kind of stays inside of your MetaMask. While with 6551, with companies like Station and Dahouse, they're reimagining like you have a membership card and you have all of this reputation, all these tokens inside of the membership. And so now this can account for, you know, your standing within the community. The third category is infrastructure and tooling. So Manifold is one of the teams that are working a lot of that. IYK, they are specializing in NFC chips and clothing. And so they're building a few modules around 6551. The more notable one was a signature module where you could go, you know, tap your phone on 
let's say Jeff Staples hat, and then Jeff Staple can actually do a digital signature with his finger, and that mints an NFT inside of the hat NFT. Uh, we have projects like Gnosis Guild, Rabbit Hole, who are looking into this as well. We've been talking to Alchemy, Airstack as well, Zora, uh, a lot of infrastructure marketplace. We're also, of course, uh, uh, the number one question is, we are talking to OpenSea and the Seaport team. Uh, they are aware of the standard and they do believe that there's a lot of potential with it. We could probably get into that later. The last category is social. So social kind of encompasses a lot of the other things that are not really games. So Lens Protocols there, Tribes, Collab Land, you have uh, CR3 Labs, SongCamp, Storyverse. So a lot of these projects are exploring the idea of like a decentralized social network or Web3 messengers or token gating uh, within community solutions. So yeah, definitely a lot of things being built in these four categories. Uh, and this is present day. We even have a developer working group that has nearly 750 developers from all of these projects that we mentioned. We have a weekly dev call. Now, if we float above all of this into, you know, head in the cloud, 10,000 foot, where we see this going is it's a natural evolution of NFTs. So NFTs have primarily brought the idea to the market of what if there's a picture that's digital that you can buy, sell, trade, and that's recorded on the blockchain. For the last six years, that's been really amazing. It's kind of uh, stirred this whole like ecosystem around collecting JPEGs and NFTs. But we think the next layer of this is something we call networked playable characters or NPCs, which I'm sure we're all familiar with played games, but there's two things that we see. Number one is a lot of these metaverses that are out there, It's a, they, what they have is an empty world problem. Uh, nobody really hangs out. It's like a ghost town in these digital worlds, regardless if it's AR, VR or on the web. And so our mission with all of this is to populate these empty digital worlds with NPCs and humans. Um, the second thing that we think is super fascinating is when you have an NFT that has its own wallet, the next thing you could add to it is something like an AI model or an LLM. Then you could start to program your NFT or NPC to perform on-chain actions for you. That's kind of the really, really amazing future of all of this. Imagine you can talk to your doodles and you're like, hey, um, do the daily quest on Rabbit Hole. And imagine for you, Laura, you go tell your crypto coven to be like, hey, um, I want you to collect the coolest music NFTs from this week. And your crypto coven goes and, and, and buys the NFTs. You have to give it a budget, um, but it can kind of perform these actions for you. So we really think the NPC is the natural progression of NFTs. And just to define so network playable character, like, I don't know exactly what that means. It just means like that you have this NFT that can do these things on chain. Is that what that means? Yeah, that's a very good question. So for us, uh, how we kind of break it down is network means like it's connected by a community that could be like Azuki's are all a part of a community and also by like a shared collective state. So that could mean the blockchain, right? Ethereum, mainnet, Polygon, Optimism. And every single action taken by the NPC should be recorded on a public record of history. So the ledger, right? So that's what network stands for. Playable for us stands for, you know, the unique roster or the different uh, playable actions that you could perform. So that chain that could be wrapping, burning, it could be curating, it could be purchasing, it could be trading, selling, all of that. And that usually result in the playable sense, usually results in like a sense of control and like uh, emotional delight. And then lastly, characters. So characters can be fictional, non-fictional. 
It could be an anime character. It could be a cartoon. And usually the character, it could be controlled by a human, like we log in as the NFT, or we can link it with an AI model and kind of let it loose and, and do its own things. So that's what NPC for us stands for. And so how do the token bound accounts work exactly? Like, do you need a special wallet to initiate these transactions? Like you said, like now any ERC721 can do this. So can I just open up any wallet? Like it doesn't matter which wallet or yeah, talk about how all this works. For sure. So the ERC6551 proposal is pretty simple. A token bound account is its own type of wallet. So your NFT gets a unique wallet address and that wallet address can own any assets. And wait, does that mean that then I need like wallets that are built to do this? Like I can't just whip up a MetaMask or a Coinbase wallet. Like there are specific wallets to do these types of activities. Yeah. So token bound accounts are a specific type of wallet themselves. You can use a token bound account using your MetaMask because it's kind of like having multiple wallets inside a single wallet. Your MetaMask wallet owns all of these NFTs, right? And so your MetaMask wallet now also owns or, or temporarily controls all of the token bound accounts for each of those NFTs. So it's like having wallets inside of your wallet. And you can control those wallets as long as you own the NFT. By the way, so I just want to break it down like on a technical level, because we keep saying wallet, but technically every wallet is associated with one Ethereum address. So what you're saying is that you can have an Ethereum address that has an NFT inside of it, and that NFT can have its own NFTs inside of it. And the NFTs inside of that NFT can have their own NFTs inside of them. Is that... Okay, got it. That's right. Yeah, it gets pretty fractal pretty quickly. And so when <laughs> I love you give fractals, NF- actually. <laughs> it's, it's cool. And we've seen some really interesting use cases that folks have come up with utilizing this kind of hierarchical ownership of NFTs. But yeah, what 6551 is, every NFT gets a unique wallet address. And so that wallet is owned by the NFT. It's a separate smart contract. It's separate from the NFT. It's separate from your MetaMask wallet. You can use any Ethereum wallet, MetaMask, Rainbow, Safe whatever you want to control that NFT's wallet. But that NFT wallet, that token bound account will always be owned by the NFT. So wherever the NFT goes, ownership of that token bound account follows it. And so you kind of have tradable wallets in a sense. When every NFT has a wallet that comes with it, that means you can buy and sell and trade wallets along with their contents on existing NFT infrastructure. You could buy a whole portfolio of NFTs using a single NFT transfer on OpenSea. And so under the hood, all 6551 does is by giving every NFT a wallet, it gives every NFT the ability to hold these assets, the ability to take actions. And it gives you as the NFT owner, the ability to hold and manage multiple wallets inside of a single wallet that you own. Okay. And so at the moment, like what are the names of the wallets that allow you to, you know, engage with token bound NFTs? Or token bound wallets, I guess. <laughs> For sure. So so the wallets exist as smart contracts. So anybody can interact with them. You can go on Etherscan and interact with them. Uh, you can go on the token bound website and interact with them. Any wallet can show you these token bound accounts and let you interact. It's not specific to any one wallet. As far as we know, tokenbound.org is the only place that has a fully functional token bound account client view. So you can go and you can see all your NFTs. You can interact with their wallets. But those wallets are smart contracts. They're totally separate from whatever wallet application you use. So if you use MetaMask, that's a wallet client that lives in your browser. But the token bound account lives on chain as a smart contract. Okay, I could have sworn five minutes ago or two minutes ago, you said that you need a different kind of wallet. 
and you can't just use your your MetaMask. I could have sworn I asked you this and you said that I was correct. So token-bound accounts are their own wallet, but they're smart contracts. So your MetaMask wallet is a private key that you hold in your browser or in your mobile app, right? That's your wallet. Your wallet lives on your device. It's a private key that you hold. It's 12 words that you've written down somewhere. That's your wallet. But there's a different type of wallet. It's different from the private key-based wallets that you're used to. It's called a smart contract. And that wallet lives on-chain as a smart contract. It doesn't live on your phone or in your browser. It lives on-chain. And so token-bound accounts are smart contract wallets. They live on-chain and can be interacted with via any any wallets, any normal MetaMask. uh, They're called EOA, externally owned accounts. Any wallet that's based on a private key can interact with smart contract accounts. So token-bound accounts are smart contract accounts. They live on-chain. You can use any wallet you want to interact with them because ultimately it's the wallet that owns the NFT that owns that smart contract account. If you own an NFT in your MetaMask wallet, you can use your MetaMask wallet to control your token-bound account for that NFT. If you hold your NFT in a Gnosis safe, you can use the Gnosis safe to interact with the token-bound account for your NFT. So that account, that wallet, it lives on-chain. It can be interacted with from any wallet, but it is a separate wallet, right? It has a different address than your MetaMask does. Okay. It's basically a smart contract that you've set up to function as a wallet. Yeah, so, exactly. Okay. 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 Now, now I'm understanding. The confusion it does exist, and we, we see it in a lot of people, because we're interchangeably, even in this conversation, using wallet and account and smart contract and and there and you know like there's smart account smart contract account smart contract wallet um wallets so it's kind of like you know a lot of people are Who's feeling the same way exactly right but for us like the correct term is an account to token bound account or or smart contract account that is like the correct terminology usually when we refer to wallet nowadays because of the history of wallets they usually associate with seabirds and EOA wallets and and like a private key and all that. So it's important that all of these token mount accounts, they don't have public private keys. They don't have seed words that now that you have 100 NFTs, you got to remember, I don't know how many words there are, but hundreds of words. Um, you don't have to, right? They're, they are smart contracts that are linked to NFTs. All right. So, you know, in the world that we live in, where rug pulls happen extremely regularly, you know, you often see people talking about how they were fished and they're an OG and they never thought they would fall for something like that, et cetera. I got to ask, like, how secure is this? You know, it feels like if you just throw like a bunch of possessions at your uh, NFT and are just like, oh, I want you to own all the things, like, I'm not sure, like, what could happen? Yeah. So at the end of the day, wallet security is really important on Ethereum, right? It doesn't matter what kind of assets you own or where they're stored. That wallet that owns them, the security of that wallet is really, really important. And if you're holding a bunch of valuable NFTs and those NFTs have assets inside of them, it's kind of the same security model, whether you own a thousand NFTs in one wallet or a thousand NFTs spread across a hundred token bound accounts. That core wallet that owns all of these assets, the security of that is really important. And, And a lot of the times you see these hacks happen, you see these issues happen because People don't take a lot of care with their wallets, right? Uh, People will use EOA wallets. People use MetaMask to hold really valuable assets. And then it's just one private key leak away from all of your assets being gone. And so if you have an NFT in your MetaMask wallet and your private key gets stolen, you'll lose your assets, whether it's a token-bound account within your MetaMask 
or whether it's just NFTs. So wallet security is really important. And as always, the best practices is usually to use a hot wallet, cold wallet setup where you have one wallet used for daily transactions that doesn't hold a lot of uh, value. And then another wallet, a hardware, or even better, a multi-signature smart contract wallet that has hardware-backed signers to hold your valuable assets. So wallet security is really important on Ethereum. Token-bound accounts don't make that any more or less secure, right? Token-bound accounts are as secure as any other smart contract wallet. Uh, If you're familiar with things like Gnosis or Argent or things like that, those are smart contract wallets. We've used smart contract wallets for ages. They're, They're a pretty proven model. And wallet security is what really matters at the end of the day. Oh, interesting. Okay, because I thought you were going to say something like, oh, these need to be used more frequently so we understand kind of the surface, the attack surface area. But you're basically saying like, since it's really just a wallet that a lot of the ways that these can be attacked are already known. Is that? Oh, okay. So basically you would say that people should feel secure using these like right out of the gate? Yeah. And so obviously, as this becomes a more popular model and more applications get built on it, that, that trust is built over time, right? Nosa Safe is really trusted because we've been using it for ages and people have, have seen it. People understand that security model well. Token-bound accounts don't change the security model in any significant way. Uh, it's still owning assets. It's just kind of adding an extra layer of ownership, right? Instead of your wallet owning a single asset, your wallet now owns an asset that owns an asset that owns an asset. So this, the security model of it is not too different, but... There are a couple of things that, you know, security conscious folks should keep in mind. Uh, one of which is, you know, if you're holding your tokens in a cold wallet, but you still want to use those token bound accounts in applications, then you're going to need to use some form of delegation, right? You're going to need a hot wallet that acts on behalf of your cold wallet. And one of the nice things about smart contract wallets is that's very easy to do. You can have a smart contract that's owned by a hardware wallet or a Gnosis safe, but has permissions delegated to a hot wallet. So you can use your token-bound account day-to-day without worrying about the NFT that owns that account being lost. And that ability to delegate permissions either to a hot wallet or to an AI uh, that controls your wallet for you or you know, to give temporary permissions is a really powerful feature of smart contract accounts. The other things to worry about, there are some other things that come up. It's not so much related to asset security, like losing assets that you control, but this model of things being tied to an NFT, a wallet being tied to an NFT and that wallet holding its own assets does open up the door for certain types of fraud on marketplaces, right? This has been a problem with any NFT that has state for as long as we've had NFTs, right? Anytime you have uh, an NFT that gives you the right to claim an airdrop, you'll see that, you know, people will claim the airdrop and then try and sell the NFT really cheap. And somebody buys it thinking they're going to get access to the airdrop. And then all of a sudden they buy the NFT and they didn't get access to the airdrop, right? They they thought they were getting an asset they didn't get. And the reason that happens is because most marketplaces treat NFTs like stateless assets. Like as long as you get the NFT in your wallet at the end of the day, that's the only thing of value that they really care about. But anytime you add something beyond just the NFT itself, anytime you add the ability to claim something or add some, some change to the artwork, or you have like a, a merging of two NFTs into one, that's a change of state. And marketplaces have historically had a hard time dealing with that. And so the same thing applies to token bound accounts, right? You can have an NFT, you could put some really valuable asset inside that NFT. Somebody could come along and place a really high bid on your NFT because they think they're getting that really high asset in the token bound account. And then before you sell them the NFT, you take the asset out, you sell them just the core NFT. And then that person is not getting what they expected to on the marketplace. And this is just a problem of any NFT that has state, right? Token bound accounts really just brings this problem to the mainstream. It makes this every NFT's problem. 
not just the problem of a couple of NFT collections. And marketplaces are going to have to adapt and, in fact, have already been doing some really good work to support the concept of stateful NFTs. Because if you're building really innovative NFT projects, you get into stateful NFTs very quickly. As soon as you want to do something, as soon as you want to add any kind of utility or any kind of extra value, you're making your NFT stateful. So marketplaces are already adapting to this. We've been working pretty closely with the Seaport team as they've been building out some tools around this to build some specific things for ERC-6551. But long-term, this potential vectors for fraud, which there are many in the crypto space, this just being one extra, will, will largely be mitigated at the marketplace level. So talk a little bit more about how the marketplaces have been adapting. Like, What do they need to do in order to be like a kind of a full experience of what it is that you can do with these token-bound wallets? For sure. I, so at the moment, Seaport is a really widely used marketplace protocol. And we'll, we'll focus on that because they've been really leading the way in a lot of these. If you read through the Seaport documentation, they've already got sections in there talking about stateful NFTs and the ways to handle them. Within the context of Seaport, there's a thing called a zone. And what a zone is, it's a smart contract that adds some custom validation logic whenever you place an order. You can create an order on Seaport and say, hey, I only want this order to go through if X, Y, and Z things are true. And then Seaport will validate that logic when the order goes through and make sure those things that you wanted to be true when you place the order are still true when the order comes through on the other end. That's one of the key mechanisms that Seaport has been working on to allow for stateful NFTs. You can kind of set a list of rules that you want to be true. And so in the case of 6551, you can have a zone that says, hey, I want these contents of the token bound account to still be there when I buy the NFT. I want to make sure that when I buy the NFT, there's no existing approvals or existing listings on OpenSea that somebody could go through and buy on that NFT that I wasn't expecting. And so by giving kind of this general framework for being able to set rules on orders, it sets the groundwork for being able to build things specifically to protect 6551 accounts, to ensure that the contents of the account stay the same, that no additional transactions have been made from the token bound account when you buy the NFT that owns it. And so we're working pretty closely with the Seaport team on some zones to support that. And that will likely end up being a pattern that's adopted pretty widely throughout the marketplace ecosystem. We were just at a hackathon in Waterloo recently, and one of the teams built ERC-6551 native marketplace that had this concept of NFTs having accounts right out of the box, right? So when you buy, sell, list, and trade NFTs on the marketplace that they built, they would handle all of these, all of these security concerns out of the box. And I think that's where this will be shifting is... As marketplaces deal with NFTs that are more complex, that have more state, that have more things attached to them, we'll get better and better tooling around that. And Seaport's really been leading the way. All right. So in a moment, we'll talk more about how this all works. But first, a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. Join over 10,000 attendees for this year's biggest crypto event at Token 2049 Singapore on September 13th to 14th. Sandeep from Polygon, Eric Wall, Chris Berniski, and over 200 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential for an unforgettable experience ahead of the Formula One Grand Prix race weekend. Singapore will transform into a crypto hub for a week from September 11th to 17th, with over 300 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Builders and investors at the bleeding edge of innovation will drive an agenda that covers the ever-evolving regulatory landscape, the convergence of crypto and AI, Web3 gaming, NFTs in the metaverse, DeFi, scalability, interoperability, and many more. Visit token2049.com for 65% off regular tickets with the code UNCHAINED. Link in the description. We've said it once and we'll say it again. The system doesn't just need an update. It needs a complete rewrite. Web3 offers that complete rewrite because it extends beyond just money. 
Staking, NFTs, DeFi, Earn, Web3 has become a world of its own. But who has time to juggle between five different crypto apps? OKX Wallet is one of the best apps for everything Web3. It allows you to store, trade, earn, and manage your crypto and your NFTs across 60-plus blockchains, all in one place. And now, it's one of the only self-custody wallets that doesn't require a seed phrase. There's just no other wallet that's as powerful, yet so simple. Give it a try at okx.com web3. Arbitrum stands at the forefront of innovation as the premier suite of Layer 2 scaling solutions, bringing you lightning-fast transactions at a fraction of the cost, all with security rooted on Ethereum. From DeFi to gaming, Arbitrum 1 plus Nova is home to over 500 projects. And with the recent launch of Orbit, Arbitrum welcomes you to build your very own tailor-made Layer 3, or as the Arbitrum ecosystem calls it, an Orbit chain, directly on the Arbitrum tech stack. Designed with you in mind, Arbitrum empowers you to explore and build without compromise. Propel your project and community forward by visiting Arbitrum.io today. Join over 80 million people using Crypto.com, one of the easiest places to buy, trade, and spend over 250 cryptocurrencies. With the Crypto.com Visa card, you can spend your crypto anywhere and get rewarded at every step. Up to 5% cash back instantly, plus 100% rebates for your Netflix and Spotify subscriptions, and zero annual fees. New users enjoy zero credit card fees on crypto purchases in their first seven days. Download the Crypto.com app and get $25 with the code LAURA. Link in the description. So one other thing that I was wondering about is, as you said, you know, the NFTs can have their own NFTs. Is there anything that's more complicated about how you pay gas or what the fees are for when you're doing these types of transactions? Yeah, so the answer is no, right? Because uh, if you had an NFT that had, I don't know, 100 NFTs nested inside, you sell this NFT on OpenSea or you transfer it, uh, you'd be paying the same gas of transfer of one rather than 100. So it's the same amount that you would you would normally pay uh, if you were transferring an NFT. Okay, well, that makes it simple. So your company, Future Primitive, obviously, you know, is working a lot on this. Tell us more about Future Primitive, how it's using tokenmat accounts and what else it is that your company does. Yeah, so Future Primitive was started about a year and a half ago. Uh, after I left Dapper, I uh, formed Future Primitive with Steve Chang, uh, who is based in the Bay Area and a partner of Kindred Ventures. Uh, and so me and Steve came together and we kind of came to this conclusion that there was so much more to do uh, in between the Web3 and culture space and combining it together. So for the last year and a half, we've been working with streetwear brands, uh, launching really interesting, unique, experimental NFTs. The first venture or startup is with Jeff Staple, the Stapleverse project. And that whole idea was re-envisioning what it means to be storytelling on, on chain um, using a 25-year-old uh, history Staple Pigeon brand uh, and merging digital fashion and fashion together. So that's one of them. And then the second one is with Billionaire Boys Club, which is another streetwear brand that's been around for 20 years. And uh, they formed a, a new uh, Web3 team called BB3. And with them, we experimented with NFT to NFT decentralized chat. Uh, we did SMS minting. Uh, we're ex- currently exploring NFC chips that are in the bracelets that can mint and gamify that experience. And so along this pathway of feature primitive, 
and investigating all these different consumer experiences, these tooling that we built internally. Um, that's kind of what led us to, to primitives. So the whole idea of feature primitive is that we have this triangle, right? Where consumer experiences are at the top. That is everything that we do. We want to ship things that make people happy, smile, or feel angry, but at least feel something. And then down below that triangle is tooling and, and tech. And that could be stuff we use internally, stuff that's uh, open sourced. And then primitives is where we have ERC 6551, token run accounts. And so the whole idea of feature primitive is basically to spin across this triangle as fast as we can and go through iterations and, and launch new primitives that are pushing the boundaries for the rest of the space. All right. So I feel like we've covered what ERC 6551 could mean for users. Maybe not incredibly extensively, but you know, by and large, that's what we've been talking about a lot. But what does it mean for creators? What's some new things that you think will appeal to them? Yeah, I think this really opens up the exploration space when building with NFTs, right? Previously, if you were a creator and you were creating NFTs, you, it was kind of like being limited to 2D artwork versus 3D artwork, right? You can launch an NFT, can have some cool artwork, you can have some utility to it, but there, there wasn't this kind of broad, flexible way that you could add a lot of really interesting things to your NFT. It was kind of like you launch the NFT, people will buy, sell, and trade it. You can build a community around it. There's kind of some very like a very like fixed list of things you can do with NFTs. But with token bound accounts, that list becomes unlimited because really the functionality of wallets is unlimited. If you have a wallet, you can go and use any DAP out there today. You can go and trade coins on Uniswap or you can go and uh, mint NFTs that are, are up and coming or you can go and uh, trade NFTs. You, could, like, you can do a ton of things to your wallet. You can message other wallets. And so by giving every NFT a wallet, we've given every NFT the ability to interact with the whole Ethereum ecosystem, with any DAP out there. And that means that every NFT has a whole bunch of features, a whole bunch of things it can do now that it couldn't do before. And creators can use that in really interesting and unique ways. You know, when NFTs can own other NFTs, you can have, you know, not just game mechanics on chain, but you can have artwork where the NFT that's at the top level changes, like the artwork changes or the experience of that NFT changes based on what's in its token bound account, based on the contents of it. You know, you can imagine like a NFT where you, you kind of assemble like a whole army of sub NFTs and they all show up in interesting ways in the artwork at the top. You have these, this, the building blocks for composable NFTs where the nature of an NFT is made up of what it owns. And so you have all sorts of interesting ways you can do that for creators. It also means that creators can build really interesting things that their NFTs can do. You can have NFTs that you send on scavenger hunts on chain or NFTs that are competing for a prize on chain, or NFTs that are doing any one of a number of actions. And that changes the nature of how you relate to these assets, relate to these pieces of art. If you're creating something, you have now this whole of Ethereum at your disposal to create your artwork with, to incorporate into the way that your art functions or the way that your art looks. And so this opens up a huge, incredible play space for creators to build with. And that's one of the things that we value really highly at Future Primitive. One of the reasons we put ERC-6551 through the proposal process was because we want to see this for all creators, right? We're really excited about the things that we get to build on top of ERC-6551, but it shouldn't just be something that we at Future Primitive are building on. It should be something that everybody in the space can build on. And by going through the proposal process, we can gather everybody who cares about NFTs that have extra features or doing super creative things with NFTs that have sub assets that can go and do things. And so, yeah, there's a whole wide play space that opens up. 
And I can't remember, we talked about a bunch of different use cases, but did you say that it's possible to use these with soulbound NFTs too? Okay. Yeah, totally. Walk me through some examples with that. Like what could you do with that combination? There are two ways that soulbound tokens work with this. One is that every soulbound token you've received, if it's an ERC721, has its own wallet too. And so you can have a soulbound token that owns other assets. And it just works the same as any other ERC721 would work. If you flip that around a little bit, you could have an NFT that collects soulbound tokens. So your NFT can collect soulbound tokens to its token-bound account, which means you can never transfer them out of the token-bound account, but you can transfer the NFT that collected them. And so you can have like, you know, a bunch of immutable stamps in a passport. Token-bound, or sorry, uh, soulbound tokens collected by an NFT that can still have value because you can transfer the NFT that owns them. And so both of those ways are ways to work with soulbound tokens. Yeah, I feel like that will be the way everybody will want to use their Soulbound NFTs because I remember when I learned about Soulbound NFTs, I was like, wait, there's got to be many scenarios where somebody would want to move their Soulbound NFT. So I feel like now everybody's just going to send it to an NFT that they know they'll never depart with, like lorashin.eth, my domain. I would just send all my Soulbound NFTs there and then would never have to worry about Yeah. And just for listeners, in case you can't tell, and for whatever reason you don't know what they are or missed our episode on them, they're tokens that cannot be transferred. So once you receive yours, it's with the address uh, where you had them sent to for life. So, And I think it's so interesting because in some ways we're kind of like unsoulbounding. (laughs) Like, So for example, the Louis Vuitton treasure trunk that uh, they recently sold for a really high price. So that's a soulbounded NFT to your ledger or metamask you know it's kind of scary that you have such a high value nft and if you just minted it on your metamask like you know i hope you never that wallet never gets hacked or you never lose the private key but actually if you minted a nft or you had an nft like an izuki or doodles you could have minted the lv treasure chunk into that nft and now it's kind of unsold bombing it because you can move it around, right? You can sell the PFP character that has the LV treasure trunk, right? So uh, there's definitely a lot of permutations here on where you can, you know, what should be tied to it and what shouldn't be tied to it. There's also another standard that people are talking about, ERC-4337. Describe what that is and also how it is that ERC-6551 can interact with it. That's a great question. ERC-4337 is proposing a system for doing what's called account abstraction. And we're all familiar with private key wallets, right? You have your MetaMask, you have your private key, and that private key has an Ethereum address. So as long as you hold that private key, you can use the Ethereum address. But the thing with private key wallets is you can never change that address. And you can never change the private key that owns that address. They're always tightly linked. So if you lose that private key, you've lost that address forever. Whoever holds that private key can take things out. And so because they're tightly coupled, it introduces a lot of security risks. What account abstraction tries to do is it tries to abstract the two of those things away. means that your address is now separate from the key that owns it. And what account abstraction, what 4 through 7, the proposal for it does, is it specifies a way for smart contract accounts to act kind of like private key-based accounts do, where they can originate their own transactions. The smart contract can be auto-deployed, so you don't even have to worry about it being a smart contract. It comes up with this kind of decentralized system for making smart contract wallets, which we've had for a long time, right? We've had Safe, we've had Argent, we've had some other ones. Smart contract accounts aren't new. But what 4337 does is it creates a way where smart contract accounts can function similarly to EOA accounts while still having that feature of 
be it not being tightly tied to the cider. And so there's a lot of people working on ERC-4337 smart contract accounts now because there's so many cool things you can do that really increase the user experience, right? You can pay for gas and things other than ETH. You can have other people pay your gas for you. There, there's lots of just things that smart contract accounts open up that were previously really, really hard or impossible to do with private key-based accounts. And so with this kind of coming wave of smart contract accounts, one way you could think about ERC-6551 is we're giving every single NFT an abstract account, right? We're giving every single NFT the same capability of being able to use a smart contract account in the ways that ERC-4337 allows. And so you can use ERC-4337 within the context of ERC-6551. These token-bound accounts can be compatible with ERC-6551, can take advantage of a lot of the tooling that's being developed around ERC-4337. And in fact, the smart contract account implementation that we've released under token-bound is compatible at a smart contract level with ERC-4337. And so by giving every NFT an abstract account, it means that not only do users get all these benefits with this new type of wallet that you can use, NFTs get these benefits out of the box as well. How do you see the existing NFT collections, particularly the blue chips, uh, reacting to the existence of 6551? Yeah, I think a lot of them have looked into it. They're really, they understand the standard. They understand what it could do, right? Uh, if you're a blue chip project, the most easiest thing is that now your existing collection, which has a really strong community, you know, the existing collection of NFTs have their own token bound accounts, like for Doodles, for Azukis, for Bored Apes, for Moonbirds, Pudgy Penguins. So that exists and they are aware, right? Again, these are different methods in pursuing um, strategy, right? Um, there's an area that we call value uh, accrual, and then there's another strategy that's value dispersion, right? So value accrual in our using token bound accounts is that you have a core collection. And if you want to add more utility or more value, you would add things inside of the existing collection, right? That helps with a narrative perspective, that helps with the lore, that helps with like, imagine you put like some sort of magical gemstone inside of your uh, NFT collection, and then now your your character like, you know, turns into fire or something like that, right? There's a lot of amazing things you can do when you put things inside of the NFT using the token bound accounts. This strategy, we believe, will actually you know, make the core base of these blue chip projects, the, the owners, the collectors, a lot more happier. And we've proven that this is buildable, is super easy. Something like Sapiens is a good example. But currently, from what we're seeing in the market, a lot of the blue chips are pursuing value dispersion, right? Um, and we totally get why they're doing it, right? Number one is when you have 10,000 tokens, at a certain point, you are like, man, we should have 50,000 tokens, or maybe we should have 100,000 tokens. The problem is that when you keep releasing tokens, there's dilution that's going to happen. Uh, the people who bought the original collection did not anticipate that there was going to be 500,000 tokens in the span of five years, right? Of course, that's not the case. But, you know, being on CryptoKitty, there's been 2 million kitties and it's been really a big pointed topic of like, wow, the kitties just keep breeding, right? So when we go back to the blue chips and they pursue a value dispersion model, what they're effectively doing is that they're continually airdropping tokens that are in the EOA. So they're doing snapshots, which, you know, snapshots now should be totally outruled because they, they're like outdated and you're still chasing the owner of, you have to set a timestamp. If you shoot it inside of a, a blue chip NFT, like airdrop, 
it's deterministic. You already know the 10,000 addresses. So you know for sure that all of the, the characters, all the, the core collection gets it, right? So when they airdrop, what we're seeing is that it's really in favor of the whales of the community. The whales of the blue chip projects, they ultimately receive all these extra airdrops that they can flip onto the, the secondary, right? So it starts to disperse the communities, just disperse the value. It starts to create this really huge tension uh, within the project. So from our opinion, like obviously both of these things can be taken uh, however way. It's, a, it's definitely you know up to the projects to pursue. But we do feel strongly that value accrual is the best way for most of the blue chip projects. Something that occurred to me other than security issues is that there are probably risks of kind of just unleashing these token bound accounts, especially if they're kind of combined with an AI, because then it's like these bots that, you know, not only have economic agency, but are also kind of tied to different people's identities. Where do you think things could go wrong? Um, and are you thinking about different kinds of guardrails that could be in place to prevent those? And if so, what would those be? Yeah, that's a great question. And we are organizing NPC Day in uh, late September uh, to rally together you know, folks from the AI side, from NFT side, from account abstraction to game engine side to really have those conversations of the ethics, what could go wrong, why is this good, why is this amazing, and really like start, start that dialogue of defining these things. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, if you think about it from an online social network perspective or even on the blockchain, there already are bots or algorithms or scripts that are running, right? Uh, performing uh, MEV uh, on chain and all of these things. So this already exists, even if we like it or not, right? Uh, we can't get rid of them. And so the question is, it's like, well, is it better that these things exist, these bots, uh, these exist without like some sort of identity or some way to recognize it where they kind of operate under the table and kind of affect uh, all sorts of things or whether or not we can bring it to the surface and maybe redefine what NPCs can do. Maybe NPCs can be for, used for good. It could be used for bad as well, right? Obviously, we, we prefer the good side that you could program your NFT to, to collect really cool things, do daily quests. But uh, we really see NPCs as a combination of like, well, now there's a visual that represents the bot. And also there's a, a factor of personality too, right? When you think about bots and algorithms, they, they don't really have a personality. They just have a single track functionality. They execute that and then they don't really have feelings, right? Um, but several experiments that we've done plugging into AI models, like for example, we did one at, at ETH Waterloo. We had a crypto kitty that had all of its genes, right? That were the metadata. We fed that into OpenAI API and actually created a personality for the kitty. And so you can imagine these NPCs like as a Twitter account, tweeting funny things and memes and jokes while it's minting NFTs, while it's buying NFTs and also performing at tasks or actions, right? So I think that's going to vary a lot. And over the next six, eight months, this is going to be a big topic for sure. All right. Well, I also wondered how you expected ERC-6551 to affect the development of the metaverse, because it just feels like a relatively undefined space. And Benny, I think you mentioned a little bit about that before. So now that we have this, what do you think will happen to this 
thing that people have been talking about for so long, but just feels like it hasn't really gone anywhere. Yeah, I mean, metaverse is a big topic. I'm I'm highly opinionated. Maybe this is where it gets hot. And the funny thing is, is in 2018, snow crash, I was doing presentations. I think we were talking as well. And at that point, I was like, the metaverse is the future. And later down the road, like, I think all the VCs hopped on that. And they were like, oh, metaverse company here, metaverse company here. That reality started to become like highly capitalized. And it, it started to launch all these companies that were metaverse companies. And the problem is that they focused entirely on like game engine and latency and the graphics and, and all of this thing, right? And the way I see metaverses are, they are a social consumer app. Social consumer apps are very difficult. You look at something like Clubhouse, you look at Blue Sky, you know, you look at Farcast or all of this, like any new social consumer app. It's very hard to change existing behaviors and network effects, let alone now. It's like you have a social consumer app layered with all these visuals and game engine and Unreal and like latency and all these things. And it's like the core problem is not solved. And social consumer apps have the empty uh, room problem, right? That's really commonly known in the startup world. Metaverses or these metaverses have an empty world problem. It's even worse because now you require all these humans to coordinate to meet in a metaverse all at the same time across all time zones. And hopefully you'll have a great conversation, but that doesn't really happen, right? So our thinking is that, well, if we can't coordinate, you know, all these humans to be in these spaces, what else can we do? You know, in the gaming world since the 80s, you have the new Zelda game that came out. Imagine playing Zelda where there's no creatures and there's no characters to talk to. You're just walking aimlessly in this beautiful world, but doing what are you doing in this world? And so in this same context, we need to populate these empty worlds, these metaverses, these autonomous worlds with NPCs that can talk, have personality, can perform on-chain action. That's what gives liveliness of these worlds. It makes it alive, right? So that's kind of where we see you know, 6551 or token bond accounts or NPCs filling in that gap. And another way to think about it too is, you know, when you log in to a metaverse and you go and experience this and you're, you're playing in it, you don't want to log in with your social security number, right? No, nobody's like playing these game worlds with their like their driver's license as their, their profile photo, right? People play as a character. People join these worlds because they get to experience something new through the lens of a character and they get to play through, they play as this kind of embodied identity that's a little bit separate from them, that they have a little bit more expression with. And NFTs are kind of that perfect representation of that second identity, where you can play this game as your NFT, you can embody this space as your NFT. And what ERC6551 does is it gives those characters, those uh, embodiments of your identity, a real on-chain identity. That wallet is a real wallet. It has all the functionality that your normal wallet does, but you're not collecting all these all these things in like your you know your garage. You're collecting them in your your Nintendo Switch, the thing you play the game with. And when NFTs have wallets, NFTs can play the game too. They can either be a character that you interact with in the game that's autonomous. It could be a character that you embody. But this tying of wallets to NFTs lets NFTs play the game too. All right. So um, as we've explored, we have this new technological development, which, you know, sounds really cool, but it's still relatively new. And I imagine there are certain limitations that you're already bumping up against that you'd like to overcome. So what are some new developments that you're looking forward to working on uh, when it comes to ERC? 
6551. I think we're really talked about security and marketplaces. Uh, the other area is infrastructure, right? So a lot of the existing infrastructure or indexers or token-gated you know, solutions, they only look one layer deep, right? Uh, whenever you want to go to one of these uh, cool NFT parties, they usually do like a token-gating where they check your MetaMask or Ledger and they're like, do you own the NFT? So they only go one layer deep. Uh, but we're going to need indexers that can really like go all the way, you know, if you have like 500 NFTs that are in all these, this token graph, that it needs to be able to index all of that, display all the information to the user. So that is something that we're really pushing the boundaries of. And we're currently, you know, talking to uh, Airstack and Alchemy uh, and getting that infrastructure set up. Uh, and it's a lot, it's a lot more complex. And it's, it's something that will enable all of this. Jaden, you probably have a few more in terms of things that we would like to have. For sure. I think infrastructure is a big one, right? Anytime there's a new way of interacting with things on chain, it takes a little while for the tooling to get up to speed, right? We've had NFTs for a long time, but it's only recently that the tools for interacting with NFTs and doing token gating and things like that have become really robust. Even you know a year and a half ago when we started launching NFTs under Future Primitive, the tooling was much less mature. We've come a, a long way since then. We were kind of hand-ruling our own tools to do something as simple as give me all the people who own this NFT. Right now that we've got more robust infrastructure, it's really it's much easier to build on top of ERC seven twenty one tokens, build on top of NFTs. You know the same thing will happen with ERC six five five one. Right now, there's not a lot of tooling around it. We're spending a lot of our effort building tooling and open sourcing it, and the community is building a lot of tooling around it as well. But this will become more and more easy to use for developers and creatives and people who want to build on it in the future. Another thing we're thinking really deeply about is what does it look like for NFT accounts for token bound accounts to live across chains, right? Because as Ethereum scales, you'll be interacting more and more on these layer twos on things that aren't mainnet Ethereum. How does this concept of an NFT, this concept of a token fit into that world as, as we scale? And, you know, there's lots of different ways that people kind of think about this problem, but uh, we're, we're th thinking really deeply around like, how can you have an NFT that lives on one chain, right? Because NFTs kind of have a single native chain of it a single chain that, that that's their origin. How does that NFT interact with a game that's on an, another chain or interact with an application that's on another chain? We've got some early experiments that we're building around, but I think as the usage of ERC-6551 evolves, as more layer two spin up, as that's, you know, the, the onboarding to these chains is easier and easier, as more and more traffic moves there and volume moves there, how do ERC-6551 accounts fit into that world? And uh, so we've got we've got some stuff that we're working on there. Uh, the token bounds implementation of token bound accounts uh, has some stuff built in to handle cross chain things. But I think this you know cross chain world that we're living in is going to change very rapidly. Like how do you interact across chains is a problem that's not really solved yet. We have a lot of solutions that have a lot of trade offs and a lot of complexity, but kind of that end game of living in a cross chain world hasn't been achieved yet. And I think seeing that through the lens of 6551 will be interesting as folks build on it. But you're saying that that cross-chain interoperability will only be possible with other EVM-based chains? For 6551 accounts specifically, okay. yeah. For, for ERC-6551, okay. it's very EVM-specific, right? It doesn't. There are other projects that are working on other chains, like if you're building on Solana, I think there's some projects working on what they call NFT escrow, which is a similar idea, NFTs having accounts. If you're building on uh, a blockchain like Flow or a move-based blockchain, they kind of have this concept of NFTs owning other tokens as like just part of how the blockchain works. It's just a native feature. 
And so this is the ERC-6551 is EVM specific. If you're building on an EVM compatible chain, you can use ERC-6551. Okay. Yeah. I was just wondering about that because I feel like the three chains that have seen probably the most NFT type activity is Ethereum, Solana, and Bitcoin. And so I was like, hmm. Um, but anyway, all right. Well, you guys, this has been a fascinating discussion. Where can people learn more about each of you and your work? Yeah. So uh, my Twitter is Benny Yang, futureprimitive.xyz, tokenbound.org. I, I tweet nonstop. So I, def- I think that's the area to follow me if you want to read some weird tweets about 6551 and all that. And if you want to reach me, if you're a developer or want to just DM about some of the crazy technical stuff behind ERC6551, uh, at Jaden underscore Wendell on Twitter. We also have a developer working group if you want to get involved. So you can track Benny or I down to join that. We've got a whole bunch of devs from a lot of different projects all contributing to the spec, all building on top of it. Uh, and it's a really good time there. Additionally, if you are interested in the EIP process as a whole, if you want to contribute to that uh, whole process, which is a, a real core thing in Ethereum. Um, the Ethereum Magicians Forum is the place to do that. If you really want to dive into the nitty gritty of how does this proposal work? How can we push it forward? How can it be improved? Uh, would love any comments there. Perfect. Well, it's been a pleasure having you both on Unchained. Thanks so much, Laura, for having us. Really, uh, it's been yeah, a thanks fun. Thanks again. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about Benny and Jaden and ERC6551, check out the show notes for this episode. Unchained is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Kevin Fuchs, Matt Pilchard, Zach Seward, Juan Urbanovich, Sam Sriram, Ginny Hogan, Leandro Camino, Pam Jundar, Shashank, and Margaret Correa. Thanks for listening.